Report. I am your host, Sarah, and you are listening to CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting live from UBC Point Grey campus on the unceded Musqueam territory in Vancouver. Today we have a really exciting show, and we're actually starting off with a live interview. So I have Sivan Kotkarian, who is a soprano at the op- Opera Mariposa. She is performing the principal lo- role of Loretta in Gianni's Kiki. And hello, how Hi. are you? <laughs> I'm well, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, I'm really excited. I've never um, spoke in person with a, a opera a performer. Oh, well, I'm excited <laughs> really to be exciting. here. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> of course. So, um, let, I just want to say, um, because the first question is related to this, so Opera Mariposa is a disability-led opera company, and so one of the goals of Opera Mariposa is to make opera more accessible in every sense of the word. So how do you believe this is achieved, considering that so many people find opera so hard to understand and enjoy because they're usually in Italian and... Um, no. <laughs> I think it really just depends because there are so many different genres of mm-hmm. opera now. I mean, with all the new composers coming out and even looking back um, at like Baroque era, going into the more romantic, it just, there's so many different stories and they're not all tragic. I know they <laughs> have this <laughs> reputation to all be very depressing, but there's actually many comedies and um, there's a lot of stories that you can bring to modern times and a lot of audiences can actually relate to them like our opera Mm -hmm. I mean I mean I hope nobody would do such things as we are about to do but (laughs) I mean you can find one character that you're like oh yeah this sort of resembles who I am or oh yeah I've totally seen my friends be in this sort of an awkward Mm -hmm. situation or you know and it's just great because I find that there's while the stories are old, they share a lot of um, light onto the things that we are dealing with nowadays. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. And so going from that, do you mind telling us a little about Gianni's Kiki? Yeah. So um, our show at first, we're going to start with just random opera scenes from different mm-hmm. operas, just to um, get people to see different styles and sort of introduce new um, opera ideas to people who Mm -hmm. haven't been to operas before. But Gianni Skiki is a comic opera where basically the story revolves around Bozo Donati, who has recently passed away and his family is desperately looking for his will because as one (laughs) passes away, you know, they generally leave a lot of nice things behind for their families to inherit. Unfortunately, it doesn't go as planned for our sad um, family here and they bring in my father Johnny Skiki mm-hmm. and they ask him to help if uh, change the will in some way and my character comes in uh, because she's in love with the other leading tenor Renucho mm-hmm. and if they can change the will then she can end up marrying Renucho so she begs her dad for help and of course he agrees <laughs> and uh, it's kind of interesting to see what he does to sort of make everybody happy in the end and there's some twists and turns mm-hmm. of course and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun and it's going to be really funny so don't yeah. miss it. It sounds really fun so um, talk about your character Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about your character specifically? And do you relate at all to your character? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay, yes, I definitely (laughs) relate to my character in probably more ways than one. Um, She's very smart. I think if you think about it and when you see the show, you'll find that she's the smartest person in the room. Mm -hmm. Um, She definitely knows how to, um, I'll say this in a, kind way <laughs> manipulate her father I don't know if that's really kind um, to get him to help her uh, achieve her goals but um, she's also very sweet and loving and she's that typical ingenue 
um, that you'll find in most stories nowadays. And I think I relate to her in the sense of um, being smart (laughs) as she is. And uh, I'm kind of lost in my own little world of romance. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so what was the process of preparing for this role like? Um, So it was first reading um, the script. And I mean, you don't really call it a script. You Mm -hmm. call it a libretto Mm -hmm. in in opera. Um, So I have to read that to figure out what's going on, get a general sense of what I'm dealing with, where Mm -hmm. my character fits into place, my relationship with everyone. And then um, I make sure that I can say the Italian as clearly as like a native Italian speaker can uh, speak. And then from there, I work on my rhythms and then I add in the notes and it kind of um, comes together in that way. As for character work, you kind of have to, um, for me anyway, I sort of envision what I think of her and I have my own ideas that I write out. I write my own backstory, how she came to be, what she's like, what she does in her day-to-day life. And that's sort of how my character blossoms. And then you match it with what the director has in mind. And you work together and collaborate to bring mm-hmm. these characters to life. Yeah, was this any different from the past productions that you've been in? Or was it a similar process? For me, this production has a very special place in my heart because I'm working with people that I haven't worked with uh, for about six, seven years now after I moved to Montreal. So Janine Finn is our director Mm -hmm. and uh, John Arsenal is our conductor. And I worked with them last about six, seven years ago on their production of Candide. And so it was really nice to come back and, um, you know, reconnect with people that you haven't seen in so long and um, just sort of feeling like there's like a a familiar aspect to this was really nice. Mm -hmm. And the people of Mariposa have been so kind and generous and they've been um, so grateful in helping accommodate me coming from uh, Montreal and my boyfriend as well, who's Mm -hmm. playing Renucho. So it's been a great (laughs) process. It's been really comfortable and everybody's so friendly and nice. So that's nice. Yeah. Have you played this role before? Is it your first time? This is my first time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've, seen the show once and uh lauretta is obviously a dream role for any soprano as she sings the famous o mio babbino caro mm-hmm. um so it was something i definitely wanted under my belt so it's my debut of the opera so it's exciting yeah that sounds exciting so um the show itself is being set in an interesting venue is there any particular reason for that because um, it's i think for this venue it gives a intimacy that you can't normally find mm-hmm. uh, in, you know, big theaters. Um, mm-hmm. It sort of has this um, intimacy that you can actually see everybody's faces up close. And it feels like you are actually part of the drama itself because we have people sort of down by the audience, like right next to them. And being so close, you actually don't feel like you're missing anything. Whereas, you know, when you've got a big theater, you've kind of got this distance between you and um, the performers. Mm -hmm. So I would say it's a great setting on that aspect because you get to be right in the drama. Yeah. So it's exciting. Do you think it's intimidating at all? Um, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) uh, no, I don't think it is. I think it's, it's exciting for me because I like to get up close and personal, and I really want people to be able to follow um, not just my character, but any of the characters' stories, you know. Mm -hmm. And this way, I feel like you have an easy (laughs) sight line, and you're able to keep track of everything, and there's nothing that you won't miss because the space is very um, niche and knit Mm -hmm. and small, but not small in the sense that you won't feel like you're enjoying a show, you know. Mm -hmm. It's got all of the spectacle aspects that you would find in an actual theater space so I think they did a great job choosing this venue it has that homey uh old school feel in it which is kind of where we're going you know because this is set back in like the 1400s essentially Mm -hmm. so you definitely are going to feel like you've been time warped (laughs) that's amazing that sounds like a fun time (laughs) and what are you most excited about this show I think for me the most exciting thing is getting to work with Um, well to perform with the cast that we have because Mm -hmm. we've got people from all over the globe coming Mm -hmm. together Um, and when I first heard everybody sing it was like wow I'm really with like a stellar cast and working with like Jacqueline Coe and Robin Han and 
Janine and John, it was just so nice to have, um, you know, everybody bring in their own ideas and able to collaborate on such an open level. And you can't always find that, you know, some directors are very in their own, um, you know, their own ideas. Mm -hmm. But I felt like for us, it was great because we all each brought a different element to the table and it created this beautiful piece of work. That sounds really nice (laughs) and um so do you have anything you would like to add um like to add I think if you haven't been to an opera this is definitely one that you would want to see as your first opera because it's Mm -hmm. very comedic and we've got some surprises and the story is gonna go in such a way that you won't expect so (laughs) Be there. <laughs> yes. And just for anyone who does not know, uh, you can catch uh, Sevan and Gianni Skiki from November 15th uh, till 16th and then 20 to 22nd and 23rd. Wow, I cannot speak today. So again, that's November 15th, 16th, 22nd, 23rd at 7.30 p.m. at the St. Faith Anglican Church. Yes. That is there. And um, thank you so much for coming. And my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was amazing to hear about this. And uh, I hope uh, everybody will get to see it because it does sound like a really nice, exciting show. It really is. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so thank you. And we're going to continue with a pre recorded review of The Wars, which is being put on by UBC Theater. And we'll catch you after the ad and PSA break. Hi, I'm Silvana, and today I will review um, Timothy Finley's The Wars. I went this past Thursday, it was the opening night uh, for this play held by UBC Theater. So, um, it was really, (laughs) really good. Um, I'm actually a little nervous to, like, review a play because I haven't seen a play in a very long time, probably since high school. But I enjoyed it very, very much. Um, the, the story as such is about a soldier in, uh, during the First World War, um, he enlists himself to um you know go to the go to war basically uh, with the canadian army um and he leaves his family um that you can tell that they live very comfortably at the time uh, but it is not necessarily in its best state when he leaves um and when he leaves um it's all about like um, all these different experiences as a person and like of um, m- making new friends uh, and acquaintances in the field uh, and this is a man that um, definitely is like troubled not only by the war that is going on outside uh, like you know the geopolitical um uh, complexities that brought um, the war to be but he's also very troubled with uh, the fact that he will be going there as um, a commander and he doesn't feel ready for this and also he is troubled with um, with his home with his family life um, so it's called the wars i see basically because um it is more than one war uh world war one is usually called the great war but it was also called at the time um the war to end all wars um and that is, that is a very powerful um phrase during the play because um it is not just it's it's not just the war that is raging in the trenches, that it is raging um, in cities and in the hospitals and all these different spaces that are like immediately subject to war. But it's also 
how soldiers as such and young men just eh, and women go through um a very um warlike experience um at the time and especially this um this soldier his name is Robert Ross um is very troubled with a diff- with a lot of different things but he also manages to not only um establish new connections with the people that he starts meeting but he also um sees the tension that comes with his old connections um but it is a very touching very compelling story um i won't reveal too much about it because um as i said i went to the opening night but um <laughs> the truth is um you guys can at any time um between uh now and the 23rd of november actually actually go see the play um it is running wednesdays to saturdays only at 7:30 p.m. in the in it's on campus it's um it's oh, let me like look at the theater um i think it's called Frederick Wood <laughs> um but yeah basically it's it will be held on campus um and tickets are cheap for students um but like there's a bunch of different um a of ways to uh, acquire tickets really good um so yeah i would definitely recommend to see it um more about the play um i'm sorry <laughs> it's a little I, i delved into the details too quickly but i'll repeat it in the end um the play was a based on a book so it's timothy finley's the wars timothy finley is uh, what was uh, a canadian writer and this was w- one of his most like acclaimed books uh, later it was adapted by dennis garnum in 2007 and this play is directed by louise anderson um as i said it's it's it was performed by the students of UBC theater so inevitably the um the acting was really really good um i thought it was really cool how um all the all the actors played more than one role so um they they like stepped into one character and then they like changed and appeared again as another one and they were you can tell they're, re- they're really flexible in all this um also i thought it was a really really cool thing how usually when you go to theater um all the backstage effects like try to be um, somehow like covered and kept in the private while in this play um partly because of um the stage how it was set up but also partly the unique choice of like putting kind of like the backstage within the stage um was really cool um because then you could see the actors themselves contributing to the making of the atmosphere but kind of like breaking that four wall of if you seeing how they do it so i thought this i thought that was really really creative and you can see the definite craft that comes into making a setting and making um a scene so um you could see people like trying to recreate the wind or um playing a little uh, harmonica for a certain like moment um and they changed all the time so many so different different actors did their different roles and the ones who weren't acting in the moment were probably doing some um something in the backstage so i thought that was really good i don't know if um if it's uh a requisite of ubc theater or um if it was just a simple um scenic choice but i thought it was um really really cool i think i think it added a lot 
and uh, the scenic design was by Cecilia Vadala, and I thought it was really, really cool how she tried to um, recreate things like the trenches, things like um, the floor, things like a ship, because um, this one thing that I thought um, going into the play, like, how are they gonna, like, do war i was just thinking how like it's usually very very detailed in movies and you have these particular images of what it is but i thought it was a very powerful thing to see it in in theater because there's a lot of imagination that comes in uh, that comes into making the stage uh battlefield or making it a hospital or making it um a a place after like the rubble of a place after a bomb hit so it was really really good the i know sarah always talks about lighting the lighting i thought it was really good and it really added a lot to the scene um so yeah i thought it was a very very good job um of course, I said that I'm not, I'm probably not, like, the biggest, um, theater junkie, so I probably, like, my, <laughs> my colleagues Lua and, and Sarah probably know <laughs> way more, but I'm really glad I could review this play. I enjoyed it quite a bit, as I said, and, and it was also very interesting to learn about, um, Canada's role in the, in the First World War, maybe lots of, like, you guys in, Vancouver or Canada like know much more about it but I am not from Canada so I thought it was really I thought it was really interesting to see like how you know the training have been pretty like probably in Alberta and how everybody just traveled literally across the Atlantic um to help um with men in the uh, in the battle so I thought it was really really interesting and as I said <laughs> you're very very <laughs> much advised to see it for yourselves um, thank you for listening and this was um, the review of Timothy Finley's The Wars I repeat again that it will be uh, shows will be Wednesday to Saturday at 7.30pm uh, from now until the 23rd of November and um it, it will be held in the Frederick Wood Theater on campus. Um, so yeah, guys, and um, a little, a little fun fact. Um, tomorrow. Oh, actually, today, there's also a post-show talkback. Um, November thirteenth, and there's also a special event of a pre-show reception and talk by playwright and alumnus Dennis Garam included in the ticket price beginning at 5 30 this is on november 16th if you can catch that it sounds really cool too thank you for listening bye the morning after show is celebrating its 20th anniversary on Friday, November 22nd at the Rickshaw Theater. Jenny and the Mexicats will be lighting up the stage along with special guests Maria Blues from LA and also our local favorites Roomba 7 and Kawama. The show starts at 8 p.m. on November 22nd. You can get your tickets now for $20 at Red Cat or High Life or buy it online at Eventbrite. Come celebrate 20 years of eclectic sounds and live music on the morning after show. Are you a BIPOC individual at UBC who's interested in journalism? Well, the UBC, UBC official student newspaper, has a dedicated space for you. The UBC staff and UBC journalism students have launched the Canadian Journalists of Color UBC Chapter Facebook group. We're also aiming to host meetings, speakers, and workshops in the near future. You can search for us on Facebook or give us a shout at coordinating at ubc.ca. Hello, everybody. Hi, hi, hi. I'm back, but we'll um, 
I be talking more? Nope, because <laughs> we do have a pre-recorded interview that I did with a dancer uh, talking about BIPOC. Hey, um, it is about a BIPOC dance showcase, which will be right after Lua's reviews of Certified and Turn of the Screw. So um, just enjoy those. <laughs> Hello everyone, this is Lua, and today I'm going to do two reviews for two different plays. Um, and these plays were very pulling in my emotions in very two different ways. So let me start with Certified, which we talked about last show. And Certified is written, performed by Jen Derbyshire. And it's this story, well it's a one-woman show, of going through the mental health system. But more specifically, it's called Certified because Jen has been certified insane a total of eight times. And so this play is kind of her telling us her story. And in the end, the audience gets to decide if she's certified, certifiably insane or not. And how does the audience, and the way the audience decides that is in the beginning of the show with the program, each one receives, each person in the audience will receive three different cards, one red, one yellow, one green. Green being, you are not crazy. Yellow be, being, we are not sure, but proceed with caution. And red being, you should maybe reconsider if you are insane or not. You probably are. And... It's really interesting to hear a story coming from someone that experienced the mental health system firsthand and, you know, had psychotic, psychotic episodes. Um, it is an amount of vulnerability that you won't find anywhere else. A story like this has to be written and performed by the person that lived it. And Jen does an incredible job at relaying to us not only her story, but the way her, she thinks and the way things happened in a very non-linear, unexpected way. Um, it is a very easy play to follow, but it's, it's definitely outside of what is considered a normal framework. It doesn't follow a linear a climax and coming down. It goes all over the place and it does it with purpose. It does it pulling the audience back constantly until we aren't sure at some points when was this or when wasn't this? Like, is this real? Is this not real? And the thing is, it's totally fine. I don't think any of these moments make us think that she is more insane. I'm going to say that at the end of this play, I did vote saying that she was not insane, because it's relatable, not just to me, but I think to everyone. And it really brings out those nuances where, yes, she told us that she saw things, she hears voices, and she has these imagination, not imagination, these um, hallucinations almost. But they aren't without reason, and they aren't all the time. And they, she isn't uncontrollable. And I don't think... And I think all of us have those moments at some point in our lives, even if we don't want to admit it to ourselves or to anyone else. And I think Certified, to me, honestly, it was a hilarious play, but it may also made me cry at moments. The reason I think I enjoyed Certified so much is because it gave me an insight into a system that I never thought I would have insight into. And it showed me how distorted the system is. She, every with every doctor, she had a different, she had a different diagnosis because at the end of the day, you're trying to you already have the diagnosis in mind and you kind of want to fit the symptoms into the, the, a diagnosis and not the other way around. And I think this play really shows, for the first time ever really that I've ever seen in a play, 
removing a stigma that is around mental illness. But not only that, um, showing the cracks in a system that is trying to make sense or put things in order of issues that don't necessarily make all that much sense. Issues that don't necessarily follow a systematic order. Mental health is complex and being mentally healthy is hard and complicated and all of us are trying our best. And I'm so happy that Jen Derbyshire had the opportunity to get the help that she needed at the moment she needed it. But like she said in her play, she was one of the lucky ones. And I think for the first time, it I've actually put myself in that position of thinking about why is mental health, mental mental issues a thing? Like, where do they come from? Where are they going? And I think that's one of the important reasons this play is, well, this is one of the reasons this play is important is because it makes me think, it makes us think really outside of, of the square, of outside of the box and outside of the systems that we already have in place and challenge them. Um, yeah, I adored this play. It was one of those plays that I left feeling that it was still going to come after me. It was still going to be in my head for a really, really long time. And honestly, I'm okay with it. I'm happy to have had this experience and I'm happy to have had this new knowledge embedded into, into my brain because now it is going to be a new layer for me to think through every time mental illness, mental health issues come up. And so congratulations, Jen. It was an absolutely amazing play. And although at times it felt disjointed and it felt hard, it also was an incredible insight. And for anyone to allow, allow that much level of vulnerability from a group of people, they have no idea who they are. I can only say I applaud you, Jen. Um, and with that being said, I will go on into um, my next review of another play we talked about last week, The Turn of the Screw. And so as a recap, The Turn of the Screw um, is being put on by Enigma Theatre Society. Um, and it is based, adapted by Jeffrey Hatcher, based on the novel by Henry James. This novel was written in the 19th century. And it is kind of like one of the first ghost stories. And um, if you've seen the others, this is the novel that the others is based on, where the story is this governess. She's very new. Um, and she goes into this house that is basically empty, except for two children who she needs to care of. And she starts seeing these ghosts. And... It gets scary. <laughs> Let me just say, it does get scary. Um, so Enigma Theatre did a really great job at portraying all the nuances of terror in theatre. Um, it's really hard to see horror theatre nowadays. It's really not that common. And it was really interesting to see it done. It's not easy. It's definitely not easy. I mean, with film, it's relatively easier where you actually see these periods, you see these things coming and happening, and you there's this build of tension. But with theater, you see everything the, the actors are seeing, and you know that there's nothing there. And so it's so much more challenging for these actors that need to make me believe that there is something there when there isn't. And... Um, the turn of the screw is played by only two people. So Sarah Roa, who is, plays the governess, and David Bloom, who plays the men, but really he plays every other person in the story. Um, and again, something that you wouldn't expect, right? Like a scary story that is so complex, so many characters played entirely by two people. It was... Definitely an experience. Um, this play is running until um, November 10th? Yes. 
sorry, I was just checking um, the press release. Um, so unfortunately, it is over. But if you do get a chance to see The Turn of the Screw some other time, um, or just follow Enigma Theater, it is something very worth seeing. But back to the actual play. This play was an interesting setting where the action happened in the middle and the audience, almost like a runway, and the audience was seated on either side. There was minimal setting with um, things hanging from the ceiling, very creepy little things hanging from the ceiling. A big chair that kind of served multiple purposes of the study, of a uh, office space, dining room, etc. And a lot of moving around, a lot of extreme changing moods. And so the thing about this play is that it did me leave me tense from the beginning to the end. And so it did tap into the horror of it. Um, it does bring into question how much of ghost stories are actual ghosts and how much of ghost stories are is mental illness. And so I guess this ties back into certified. How do we navigate mental illness? And this is a story set in the 19th century, so it is a, like a, a timepiece. So the understanding is very much completely different. There is this adoration, um, this references to the Bible and Christianity and like saving the soul. And so the overwhelming feeling that I had leaving this play was, did I just watch a spirit, a scary actual ghost story, or did I just watch a woman spiral down through mental illness and commit unspeakable an unspeakable crime and so do i empathize with this person or do i not i think that's the very interesting point because there's always the doubt throughout the play there's always the doubt of what is she seeing is she real do we believe her do we not believe her and sarah um was an absolutely amazing performance there were so many switches because there was no intermission in the show. There was also like basically no cut scenes. It kind of like ran throughout like one thing. And so to kind of signify those shifts in scenes, signify those shifts in, in moods, she really did to have to completely alter her attitude, alter her expression. And it was like seeing a different person each time she had to make that alteration. Um, let me just say, the governess is not a likable character, but the performance was incredible. Um, the Turn of the Screw was an overall great, great play. I was really happy to have a chance to see it. I do hope, if you get the chance to see it, you do. And overall, Ending My Theater did a, an amazing job in putting on this very intimate play. It's in an intimate space, it's not that small, but it's also not that big. And the audience needs to feel super connected to everything that's happened or else the horror isn't there. And they were able to do exactly that. So those are my two reviews for today. Hope you enjoyed them. Um, I will be back in the show later on today to talk about the price. And that was... Um, an interesting experience. So stay tuned to, for more. Okay, bye everyone. Hello everybody, this is Sarah and I have Leah McFly McKesey with me. She is an ancillary artist at the Made in BC Dance Tours Creative Residency Showcase. Hello, how are you Leah? Hi, I'm good, how are you? I'm good, thank you for asking. So I'm just gonna get right into it. Um, so good. What is your background in dance? Uh, my background is uh, hip-hop, locking, uh, reggae dance hall. And um, over the years, I've, you know, added to the repertoire of um, doing popping, um, house dance, and Afrobeat. So a lot of urban styles. Mm -hmm. um, started with jazz ballet, jazz and ballet, and um, I think urban dance took over my life so now i'm going back into that <laughs> yeah yeah okay that sounds really yeah. interesting yeah because i personally um i did ballet for 15 years so it's always interesting to talk to people 
who, you know, do other types of dances, especially urban dance is really, um, it's not, fam I'm not familiar with it at all. It's really different from ballet. <laughs> so Yeah, and it's so, it's two complete opposites, you know, and, I, and that's what I like about it because I think as a kid, I was antsy, so my mom was like, you need to calm down, so mm -hmm. you should get some structure. Mm -hmm. And I hated it, but then I appreciated it after because it, it gave me more formal training. But then I always tell people, don't think, you know, they don't think of hip-hop as formal training, but it's still a skill within itself. But I do find that you're used to being told, like, be straight and have a certain form, whereas hip-hop, we tell you the opposite, like, yo, relax, chill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, know? you know, and then you're like, how do I chill? Like, I'm just so used to being straight you know so um it's really nice now to go back and be like oh, okay well i'm really rusty you know my teacher even told me like you're such a waste of height you're so tall and you're like not flexible you're not <laughs> but you do have a good range you know so i'm like okay this is great because i love a challenge and i think because it's challenging i'm enjoying the process so i feel like i'm learning a lot faster mm -hmm. yeah that's because really, of it that's really interesting yeah. 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 So, um, the this showcase is a creative residency showcase. So uh, you are from Montreal, and you came to Vancouver for this showcase. And I was just wondering why become involved in this residency. Um. Well, I was. I had met Jane Gabriel's and at an event, and she told me that. She thought I should enter and like you know submit, and mm -hmm. I submit to the residency, but I didn't I didn't win it. Mm -hmm. But then they took all the people that they liked and they said create the show. So um, that's pretty much how we got involved in it because I didn't know about it beforehand. Mm -hmm. I kind of just fell into it, um, which is great, you know. Which is what's been happening a lot being in Vancouver since like it went from me visiting here for the last eight years to me moving. Mm -hmm. I still back and forth even though here's my base. So um, I'm, yeah, it's really, I'm really grateful to have this opportunity to to now show, because I've done it in Montreal at Place des Arts, and I feel like now I get to do it and reinvent another version of how I did the last show and kind of change it up and um, go in a different direction musically and fashion-wise and everything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How long have you been in Vancouver for? Um... Probably 10, 11 months. I moved in January. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So 11 months. It's going to be 11 months in November. And I uh, decided to just do a trial for one year. Mm -hmm. But then it, it went by so fast. And I've been getting a lot of opportunities since the first month I was here. So I decided to extend. But I still go to Montreal for one or two months at a time because I have a dance company there and I do festivals. So... And I'm also thinking it would be great to bridge the gap and have, you know, Montreal come here and, you know, collaborations. So it's not really closing the door on Montreal either. It's just keeping all the doors open, even within Toronto. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would yeah. be great. Uh, yeah, collaborations, always really fun and exciting. Yeah, hopefully you'll get to do that. And so I forgot to mention in the beginning, um, this creative residency showcase is uh, with BIPOC dance artists. And I was just wondering, what was it like working with such a diverse group of people for you? Oh, I think it's great because I feel that um, I society in Montreal, it's natural. You see it a lot more, whereas I find since being in Vancouver, it is very, it's, it's cultural, but it's still sometimes very segregated. Like on the normal, if you go to an event, like I could count maybe how many black people are in there or mm -hmm. like <laughs> Indian, you know? And I feel like when you could actually like, give the focus to mm -hmm. being like okay we we do have more of a platform for you not to say there aren't any but it's nice to have that special attention and um you know they're very nice at catering to like you know giving us a nice theater space and um making sure that you know um we nurturing us along the process of like building our peace So um, I'm excited to be amongst just different styles because I feel like I'm learning from them too, um, either what they're showing culturally, mm -hmm. what they're, from their backgrounds to also like their dance style and also connecting and exchanging with people who are, um, who are maybe doing more contemporary or like um, different styles or acting or theater out of what I'm nor normally doing and which I'm also tapping into in my own piece. So 
I think it is um, a great opportunity and a great um, way to break the ice being out here and showing people because it's like I'm doing, I'm working on fashion and a lot of other elements. Um, I think um, it's really great. Um, and I really appreciate having this um, opportunity. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. what do you believe it means to other emerging BIPOC artists, this showcase? I think it just means, you know, celebrating your uniqueness, your freedom, your beauty. Um, you know, sometimes people might feel like, you know, they have to be reserved a certain way. And I feel like maybe this can help broaden how they see things on a regular. And I think to me it means just, Uh, learning, growing, um, mm-hmm. exchanging, and being open to different possibilities and different types of people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, to me, it just means growth, you know, and um, I'm really excited to have the experience, um, be able to have the experience to go there and to to unveil another side of me, you know, and to introduce and also another side of me to people here that, you know, heard of me or have just seen me, now they can actually fully see what I have to present. Oh, wow, that's pretty great. Yeah, sounds great. And um, mm-hmm. just going on from that, I was going to ask, so was working with only BIPOC individuals different from your previous experience with professional dancing? Um, I don't really find it's different because I'm, um, I always naturally am involved in events where it's, there are people of color. Mm-hmm. I don't really necessarily feel like sometimes it needs the label. It mm-hmm. just naturally has everybody involved. Um, but I do, yeah, so I just feel like, you know, it's, it's, it's great to have it, but I also feel that, like, whether there's a label on it or not, I am exposed to it on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Or if it's not there naturally in an event, I look for it. You know, um, I look to always have a little bit of everything. And that's like, yes, with people of color, but also with, you know, different styles. Or it could be um, different avenues. Like, you know, I came out here and I'm doing like roller skating and hula hoop. Mm -hmm. And like things that I've always wanted to do that never had a chance to do. And hopping in that and doing it along with people who are like, hey, I'm open to that. That sounds cool. And it not just be like, oh, uh, you know. Black people don't do that. Chinese people don't do that. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, breaking those boundaries and being like, we could do anything, you know, and we could do it together or you could do it alone, but we could inspire each other and just do more. Yes, that, that sounds great. Yeah. So inspiring. And um, I want to ask you, so this showcase, there are multiple artists, there are multiple dancers, and all of them are doing different styles of dances or are they just wow i cannot pose this question i'm so sorry so like for example you're more um doing urban dance right and so yeah and there are other artists and are everybody doing sort of something within the realm of urban dance or are there different styles different um there are different styles like i know um One guy named Squidget, he's known for doing, like, popping and animation. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's immigrant lessons that are, like, very cultural, doing, like, you know, um, Afrobeat, dance hall. They're contemporary also. I don't know everyone else, which is also mm-hmm. great, because I'll get to, like, reveal and just see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do know that, yeah, there are other styles. And a lot of times when there is a theater space, urban people tend to go to the contemporary side to show, which is, like, nice. They want to dabble into that and show another side. But I felt like um, I want to still show how hip-hop could be in the in these theater spaces more often, mm-hmm. but also start using, like, um, theater, you know, and acting. Now that I'm working on that out here, mm-hmm. I decided, like, yes, I will be dancing a lot of, like, whacking and hip-hop and, and reggae and robot you know, animation, mm-hmm. but I also feel like it was great that I could take the time to maybe do the piece where it's like taking my time, um, being more sultry, um, there is more acting, so it's not just like, you know, only just getting dance, you're getting like fashion, I'm wearing different masks, I'm wearing different costumes, I have visuals, so it's really like my piece is like taking you into my world, which is also makes me feel like 
I'm out of this world, like out of space. It's very mm-hmm. futuristic, mixed with like a triangle, which is past, present, future. So I, I explain like the grief and loss that I had and how I use that to my present to be numb. I'm like way more strong, I'm more empowered. And it's pretty much taking people in my journey from like grief to happiness um, and then like future meaning future is dance, future is expression. So it doesn't have to only mean dance, but like I could do better as a dancer also tapping into other styles if I'm DJing or I'm acting or I'm mm-hmm. doing the hula hoop. So, um, yeah, I really think that, you know, I think it's really great that I could tap into other things outside of my norm, not know what it's going to come, how it's going to come out, but just be vulnerable to the music and to the experience that I'm going to have on stage and really being vulnerable in front of the crowd um, where I, you know, I may cry, you know, because it is, there's some sadness, but it's so show people like you can be hopeful and the sadness is great because you learn to be strong and you learn how to um, overcome it by just embracing the negative, which then brings you to positive and success. So embracing both and, and it helping you with your growth in the long run. Yeah, that, that sounds really great and really interesting. Thank you so much um, for anybody wondering. Um, Leah, you can see Leah. Um, on Friday, November 15th at KW Studios at 8 p.m. And there is a post-performance talkback. Will you be at the talkback? Yeah, for tonight, that one tonight? I, no, for I the think, Friday one. Yes, I will be there. And also there's a show on 18th and 19th also. Yes, yes. There's like other days. So I'm excited to actually go to those shows and see everybody else's pieces and to mingle um, because, yeah, I think we're all been in our little bubble or a lot of us are working. And mm-hmm. I think that it's great that I have, I've dedicated my Friday and the weekend to just this where I'm not, there's no interruption and I could really um, embrace, you know, the different faces and um, different people in the community. Yeah. Sounds like a good time. I hopefully will get to catch it too. I yeah. Am, I hope you can make it. Yeah. Thank you so much uh, for this. And thank you for taking the time out of your day. Um, I believe you're on a TV set, right? So thank you so much. And hopefully you'll have a nice rest of your day. Yes, thank you so much. And you too. Thank you. Bye. All right. Thank you. Bye. The Vancouver International Mountain Film Festival's Fall Series is back. Presenting an adventure-packed weekend, including a mountain bike show that features North Vancouver's Elodie Brown and Leslie Kameyer. They'll be talking about the film Bikepacking and Boat Living, A Tale of Traveling by Land and Sea. Film screenings will take place at 7.30pm from November 14th to 19th at both the Centennial and Rio Theatre, with an added screening of the popular Real Rock Climbing Films on November 17th at 3pm. For more info, visit vimff.org. Humbug. A modern adaptation of A Christmas Carol celebrates the downtown Eastside community in its 10th annual and final season. It's the perfect family holiday treat filled with rock, blues, and Christmas carols. Plus, enjoy live music from a youth choir. Opens December 5th at SFU Woodwards, located at 149 West Hastings Street. For tickets and details, visit sfuwoodwards.ca. Hello, we're back. Hi, we hoped you enjoy enjoyed all of those interviews and reviews. And we have one more review left that Lua and I will be doing together. Well, will we have time? Yes, I think so. Okay, we're good. I think we gotta do it fast because we only yes. have like five minutes. Yes, but it is. Honestly, it's <laughs> it's okay because. <laughs> I was gonna say the same thing. Go, go, I was gonna say the same thing because, okay. To be honest, we go to we go we see a lot of plays, and this one was not the one that is worth the time, unfortunately. Okay, so the play we're talking about right now is *The Price* by Arthur Miller. And walking into this play, I already knew I already had some expectations. I mean, Arthur Miller, he's not, a, he doesn't write comedies. Mm-hmm, yeah, all his plays are very tragic, very sad, and that was. I was, you know, prepared for that. But the price is just one of those plays that is just 
hard to follow through. It's yes. honestly one of those plays that it's it's just there nothing happens and the moment you think something happens it ends. Yeah, that exactly. The first act was, you know, pointless. Yes, we could have done it without the first act and it could have been fine. I found myself zoning out multiple times during the play. I know like this is really harsh, but I I got to be honest here, folks. <laughs> I see a lot of plays and yes, we do have a lot of great reviews. Uh, but sometimes there are ones that are not so great, unfortunately. And, you know, this one, I, yeah, Lua and I had different experiences when it comes to this. Lua was able to actually, you know, follow it somehow. And, <laughs> but, follow it somehow. Me, well. me, on the other hand, I was just, you know, thinking about other stuff all the time but like this is not just because you know the first act was useless or something like that this was kind of on the actors part too because there were a lot of times when they messed up their lines and stuff like that and that that, that should not be happening in a professional <laughs> a company yeah so the thing is like the set was absolutely stunning yes. um beautiful set i walked in i was like wow okay this play is gonna blow me away and um, first scene, I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Mm -hmm. And it kind of kept going and it kind of kept doing these rotations, these same cycles, these same conversations happening yes. over and over and over again. And I mean, some of it doesn't actually have anything to do with the actors themselves and mm -hmm. what their quality as actors are, Ooh, yeah. but just as the the playwright as it is. And it's a bold choice to choose something by Arthur Mac Miller, like The Price. Um, was it the right choice? I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, this is not a play that appeals just to everyone. It's not an easy play to follow. It is definitely requires a, like a whole other level of understanding and academia. Mm. I, I'll even say like academia because at the end of the day, Arthur Miller studied a lot yeah. in academia. And the thing is, it took me so long to try to get into the moment of the play to like mm -hmm. believe in these actors because following them was just so repetitive yes and so it wasn't engaging it wasn't it didn't bring me joy <laughs> Same. and i don't know it was just one of those plays that i was like i could have spent my evening some other way yes okay like okay I, it's so usually when i'm do at least when i'm doing the reviews for plays i always mention how i felt like i was in the story i was part of it I, like i was witnessing their story right because that's what happens they capture you in this moment in the story and you feel like you're in there with them experiencing this thing but um for this one for the price i did not feel like that at all which is a shame because you know that that's really what makes the theater experience you know amazing like makes you want to go see more with this one i just i was like okay i am seeing four actors acting right now and that is it i, I don't know okay yeah. i don't want to <laughs> talk too long about it honestly like i could go on yes but there were some highlights there were some moments that were like oh this is it did bring into conversation some things that I think were are very relevant to this day. Mm -hmm. I mean, how you treat uh, trauma, how you blame other people for your trauma when sometimes you're the one to blame. Um, and how you make decisions about your life. And sometimes we make decisions because we're scared to make other decisions. And all those themes were very relevant, very important, but they only appeared in the second act. Yeah. And when they finally appeared in the second act, there was no conclusion to them, which is why I was felt incredibly frustrated. Yes. But anyway, <laughs> we're watching an amazing show. We, what we hope is going to be an amazing show tonight, but I, I wouldn't expect anything less from The Sound of Music. Me. And next week, we have a lot of things planned, including um, in in uh um <laughs> wow what do we have planned? yes well we interviews <laughs> reviews and a lot of insights into a, the new gallery exhibition from moa which i'm yes. really excited to learn a little bit more about thank you for tuning in today um catch us next week i guess yes. and follow us on social media yeah we're art support citr on instagram yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay cool bye. thank you so much bye bye bye